Today's scripture comes from Philippians 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome here. My name is Matt. I am the director of youth ministries here at Christ City Church, and I'm excited to be here with you this morning. I had a joke I was going to say about, oh, you're here on Boxing Day, but John stole that joke in the announcements, and it's annoying because he already heard my sermon, so he knows that I was going to say that. So let me just say, well done. You're here on Boxing Day. Proud of you. I hope you all had a good Christmas yesterday and were able to celebrate well uh, despite some of the restrictions that came down. But here we are. Christmas is officially over. You know, soon the tree, it's going to have to go down and it's going to go back into that storage locker. No more chestnut praline lattes for a whole year. No more Christmas songs in the stores. It's over. Christmas is done. And as this holiday season comes to a close, often this can be a time of added stress, uh, fear, worry, and anxiety. You know, a couple weeks from now, the credit card bill is going to come through, and you are going to learn just how generous you actually were over this season. And you're going to be worried. You know, you're going to be thinking, how am I going to afford this? Maybe in a few days, you'll be heading back into work. And there's going to be hundreds of emails in your inbox and, and tons of meetings that demand your time and all sorts of, of busyness and stress. And, and these are things that you are able to avoid over the holiday season. And knowing that you're going back into it, it's making you anxious. You know, the family that you had visiting is going to go home. And you're realizing that as they leave, you're going to be lonely again. You know, the gatherings are over, the, the holiday fun, it's been had, but, it, but it's time for people to go back to their, their normal rhythms and routines. And, and for you, that might mean you're alone again. And you're afraid. Fear, stress, worry, anxiety. All of these things can actually increase during this time of year for a lot of people. You know, a time that's supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be amazing, it ends up being this season of worry and anxiety for you. So I thought, hey, Brett's letting me choose what to preach on this week. So why not, you know, speak on fear and worry and anxiety? Just a nice, light, you know, easy topic as we head into the new year. But hey, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I want us to uh, come away with uh, this big idea that the Lord is near in the midst of our fear and our worry and our anxiety. That's my big takeaway. The Lord is near. And we're going to flesh this out today by looking at our text and seeing three things. The Lord is near, so rejoice and don't be anxious. The Lord is near, so rejoice and don't be anxious. 
So let's get going. Let's look at our first point together. The Lord is near. Uh, Look with me again at our text today. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Notice that little phrase at the end of verse 5. It's kind of right in the middle of our text. The Lord is at hand or, or the Lord is near. Now, this might not seem like that important of a phrase, but this, this phrase, I believe, is actually the centerpiece of this passage. Now, this isn't something I would normally do on a Sunday morning, but I want us to just take a very, very brief moment to look at the structure of this text. You see, before this phrase, Paul gives two commands. One active command, which is rejoice, and one passive command, which is let your gentleness be known. And then immediately after he says this phrase, he follows the same pattern. He says in an active command, do not be anxious. And then with a passive one, let your requests be made known to God. Now, the reason I wanted to bring this up is because I think this is really, really important in how we understand this passage. I say that because it's really easy for us to read this text and think to ourselves, all right, I just need to follow Paul's commands. I just need to rejoice. I just need to be reasonable. I just need to not be anxious. I just need to pray more. And then I'll have God's peace. If I just follow these things, then I'll have God's peace. As long as I'm following this this correct formula, then God's peace is going to follow and I'm not going to be anxious. But there's a huge, huge problem with this interpretation. That is that it puts all of the onus on you. You need to just rejoice better. You know, you need to just pray better. I mean, come on, just stop being anxious. It's not that hard, right? That's why you're not experiencing God's peace. And this interpretation is crushing because you know, you know, and I know that when someone says to you in the midst of your worry and your fear, just do better, you know, that's an absurd suggestion. But if Paul is intentionally structuring this passage around the phrase, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, then these commands, they aren't a, a secret formula for experiencing God's peace, but they are actually the natural outflow that comes with knowing that God is near to us, close to us. Let me say that again. If this passage is structured around the phrase, the Lord is at hand or the Lord is near, then these commands, they aren't a secret formula to get God's peace, but a natural outflow from the knowledge that God is near. You see, the reason the structure matters here is because it makes God the central aspect of this text and not ourselves. Paul is using this phrase like a rock. And it's like a rock he, he throws out onto a calm, clear lake. 
And as that rock hits the water and sinks in, a bunch of ripples come out of that rock. He's saying the Lord is near, so rejoice. See, it's a ripple out from the rock. The Lord is at hand, so don't be anxious. It's a ripple. And he's telling these people to respond to the truth that God is near to them. And the good news today is that the Lord wasn't just near to this Philippian church, but he is actually near to us too. He is close to us. And here's what I mean by that. When Jesus went to the cross and died to forgive our sins, our relationship with God, it was completely restored in that moment. And all who put their faith in Christ, they're adopted into his family as sons and daughters, and they now enjoy a relationship with the Lord of the universe. And this isn't some, you know, long distance relationship, but God, he makes himself present with us. He comes near to us. Jesus, he actually promised that he would send his Holy Spirit to dwell in all of those who follow him so that he would remain present with them through the indwelling spirit. So it's not just that, uh, so since he, uh, sorry, it's not just that we have a new relationship with God in Christ, we also have Christ himself, right? Christ himself is present with us through the spirit. And since Christ and the Father are actually one, right? They're of the same essence. Then as the spirit dwells in us, Christ himself is present with us and God the Father is present with us. In other words, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they are physically, physically near to us, near to each and every one of us in a special relationship with us as we have faith in Jesus Christ. And the promise that he has made is that he'll never leave us or forsake us. Listen to this. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Well, listen to what the psalmist writes here. For the Lord will not forsake his people. He will not abandon his heritage. Jesus himself promises to be with us. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ City, hear me on this. God is near to us. He is present with us, always there. You know, in the mundane moments of your life, when you're, you're just so bored and everything seems so dull, when you're washing the dishes or when you're changing the millionth, trillionth diaper, it feels like, when you're doing the finances at your house and just taking care of all the life admin, God's there. He's with you. God is near to you in those moments. He's strengthening you, helping you. He's always interceding for you in those moments. He's with you. When work is stressful 
and your colleagues, they're putting pressure on you. He's there. Look, I don't know what you've gone through at your workplace this last week. And I don't know what you're going to go to in the weeks to come. I don't know what you're, you're expecting in your office place. I have no idea. But what I do know is that God is near to you when you're there. That God is with you. He, he knows what you're going through. He knows it better than anyone else in your life because he sees all and he knows all and he desires to be near to you, near to you. When you experience a tragedy and your heart is just absolutely broken, when it feels like a piece of you has been ripped out from the inside. When you're grieving in this life and no one really knows what to actually say to you in those moments, Jesus is near to you. He feels your pain. He is with you. Even when you're crying out, God, where are you in my life? He's with you. Jesus, the one who wept at the death of his friend Lazarus, weeps with you in your pain. He's with you. Jesus, the one who defeated death once and for all on the cross and is the first fruits of the resurrected life, the one in whom all of us will one day experience the resurrection is with you right now. He's near to us. The Lord is at hand. When you get this, when this rock lands in the water of your heart, there is going to be ripples. And people are going to see these ripples. So what's the first ripple? Rejoicing. And that's actually our second point this morning. So rejoice. Uh, so let's look at this together now. Look in your Bibles with me at verse 4 in our passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, what does this mean? You know, what does it actually look like to rejoice in the Lord? Are we supposed to just kind of put on like a happy face and just kind of like fake it until we make it kind of deal and pretend that we're, we're happy no matter what's going on in our lives? Is that what this means? Well, no, I don't think that's what it means. I think what Paul is trying to say here is something a little different. And it's going to help us if we look quickly at the word rejoice. Now, rejoice, it just means to show joy or feel joy. And that word joy, it's really, really important here. Because often in our world, I think we conflate the word joy and the word happy. But I want to argue that happiness and joy are actually uh, different things. You see, happiness in our culture, it tends to be quite shallow. In a lot of ways, I think we've made happiness into the sort of end-all, be-all of our lives. 
It's become the, the goal that we're all sort of striving towards. And if we just kind of work hard enough, we follow all the right steps in life, we make the right choices, we have the right you know, mindsets, then we're going to achieve eventually this goal of happiness. We're going to get to this place of sort of euphoria and contentment with our lives. James Clear, uh, the New York Times bestselling author of the self-help book, Atomic Habits, uh, he defines happiness this way. The state you enter when you no longer want to change your state. Let me say that again. The state you enter when you no longer want to change your state. This is the goal that we're all sort of working towards. It's a state of mind that comes with, uh, with peace, and with contentment and just overall a, a sense of rest. Like how you kind of feel when you're on the beach in, in Hawaii or maybe Palm Springs where I was a few weeks ago and there's no kids around, right? That's kind of the feeling we're talking about here. And there's a lot of ways that people think they can achieve this happiness. Basically, everything has been tried before. Money, uh, sex, spirituality, power, you name it. It's all been tried. Now, whatever you might think about all these different ways, there, there's one thing that they have in common. And that is that at the end of the day, happiness in each of these different ways is something that is achieved. It's something that we need to earn for ourselves. But there's a big problem with this. And that is, it doesn't work. This is something I think we see in Scripture too. You know, in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're given the picture of a man who looks to all sorts of different things in life to find fulfillment, to find happiness. And every single time he looks to something, he, he later realizes that that thing was vanity. So listen to this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my, my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. See, the problem is that no matter what we do, happiness always seems to be just a little bit out of reach. It's something where you kind of think, yes, you know, I'm, I'm close. I'm getting there. I'm almost achieving happiness. But then some new desire comes along, steals the contentment that you had, and, and it forces you to just kind of keep chasing after it. Happiness is stringing you along. It has you on the hook. And at the end of the day, you're never going to get it. There's a Greek uh, myth that demonstrates this really well. Um, Sisyphus has been punished by the gods and his punishment is to roll a big boulder up a hill. And the problem is for Sisyphus is that every time he rolls this boulder up the hill, he gets to the top, he thinks he's accomplished his task and it rolls back down. And he is forced to start the whole process over again. And this is what our quest for happiness looks like. You know, we're pushing a boulder up a hill thinking, once I get to the top, I can rest. 
Once I get to the top, then, then I'm going to have contentment, happiness. But it rolls back down on us. Every single time it rolls back down on us and we have to start all over again. But joy, joy is different. You see, happiness is dependent upon our circumstances. We achieve happiness as we manipulate the world around us. But joy is received. Joy doesn't have to do with our external circumstances. Joy it comes from the nearness of God to us. Joy is a result of God entering into relationship with us and being present with us. A famous theologian, he once wrote, you have made us for yourselves, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. We are made for a relationship with God. That's why we chase after happiness in the first place. Because we're looking for God and the good things that only God can provide and everything but him. But when God enters into a relationship with us, when he makes himself near to us in Christ, we actually receive our contentment and we receive our joy. And when we receive this joy through God's presence, then guess what our response to that is? rejoicing. We actually display this joy in our lives. It is a ripple that comes off of God's nearness to us. So let me ask you, Christ City, where are you trying to find your rest? Where are you seeking out happiness in your life? What boulder are you trying to push up a hill today? Thinking to yourself, once I get to the top, you know, once I get up to the top of this mountain, then I can rest, then I've found my happiness. Let me just tell you, from my own personal experience, that boulder, it's going to roll down on you. It's going to roll and it's going to crush you and it's going to leave you disappointed. Look, let me just be candid with you for a minute here. Uh, one of my goals in life was to be a pastor. And uh, I, I wanted to do this since uh, the end of high school. And so I, I went into my undergraduate degree, raced through it as quickly as I possibly could because I really wanted to get to seminary. Did all my uh, like uh, internships and apprenticeships and all that good stuff that you got to do to kind of follow the right steps to get into ministry. Went to seminary, graduated, thinking to myself, I'm almost there. I'm almost getting to, to full-time ministry. Then I enter into full-time ministry. I'm all excited, but I wasn't content. I wasn't happy. The goal didn't deliver what I thought it was going to deliver. I didn't find rest. And it wasn't because, you know, the, the ministry was bad. It wasn't because I made a career choice that was wrong or something. 
It was because I was trying to find happiness in something that could never, ever deliver my happiness. See, I wanted to be a minister for Jesus, but I wasn't allowing myself to be ministered by Jesus in the process. I was trying to achieve my happiness by orchestrating everything in my life and fitting it into this perfect little life plan when what I really needed was to just receive my joy from the relationship I already had with the Lord in the first place. You see, I was trying to achieve happiness instead of receive joy. And maybe you can relate to this story here. You know, maybe some of you have created a boulder that you're trying to roll up a hill thinking, I'm almost there. I'm almost at the top. But it's going to roll back, and you're going to be disappointed. But when you turn to God, accepting the person and work of Jesus Christ, he comes near to you. And he gives you his rest and he blesses you with joy. He's not going to crush you. He's not going to be harsh with you. His yoke, it's easy. His burden is light and he will make his presence known to you. And no matter your circumstances, he will teach you joy and how to rejoice in the midst of that. So the Lord is near. That's our rock. We've thrown it in the lake and we've seen our first ripple, rejoicing. But there's another ripple we got to look at this, this morning and that is do not be anxious. And this is our third point. Don't be anxious. Let's turn to verses five through six in our passage. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Now, these words of Paul, they can sound a little bit harsh to our modern ears, I think. Don't be anxious. You know, this sounds like it's almost cruel to the person who's struggling with anxiety. How in the world am I supposed to just not be anxious? But I think when we understand the context here, it helps us to see what Paul is saying. You know, we need to understand that Paul is actually writing to a very specific community, and they have different issues than we have. You see, Philippi, the city he's writing to, was a very Roman city. And as a very Roman city, it did not always deal kindly with Christians in its midst. And so it's likely that these Christians he's writing to were fearful of, of poverty, of hunger, of ostracism, of persecution even. And so when Paul writes to them and he says, do not be anxious, he isn't speaking about generalized anxiety disorders, but he is talking about the worries these specific people had. Paul is not saying this to be cruel, but he is speaking to a specific congregation with specific fears and specific worries, and he's trying to encourage them here. So if you're here this morning, and maybe you have an anxiety disorder, let me just be really, really clear. Paul is not saying, come on, just stop being anxious. He's not saying that, but he's speaking to a specific community. And again, if you struggle with anxiety, I just want to commend to you this morning our biblical counseling ministry. 
You can find out more information about that on our website. But this is an amazing, amazing ministry that we have the opportunity to run. We have a team of trained biblical counselors who can help walk with you through your anxiety. So with that being said, Paul, he's writing to this Philippian church and he's telling them not to be anxious. He's telling them not to worry about the things that they're worried about. And the reason that he gives for this is the exact same reason that he told them to rejoice. The Lord is at hand or the Lord is near. Now, I didn't mention this beforehand, but there's actually two ways we can read this phrase in this text. We've already talked a little bit about the first way, and that is that God is physically near to us when we have faith in Christ. But the second actually has to do with the Lord's return. It's not just that Jesus came once and died, forgiving our sins and restoring us into a relationship with God, but he actually promises to come again. And when he comes again to deal with evil once and for all and to dwell with us, and to dwell with his people for all eternity. So for instance, uh, look at Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Or listen to Revelation 1, verse 7. Behold, he's coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Christ is coming back. He's at hand. And here's why this is so important. What is anxiety but a fear of an unknown future? You know, what is worry but angst about what we know or don't know what is to come? But if we do know what's coming, and we do know our future, at least in part, then perhaps we don't need to be anxious. And what we know is that the Lord is near to us today, tomorrow, the next day, and forevermore, like on into eternity Jesus is physically near to us through the Spirit right now. And one day he's going to be physically near to us bodily when he returns again and raises us up from the dead. He is near. We know that. And since we know that, nothing, nothing can separate us from this nearness. Romans 8, uh, 38 through 39. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see why this is important? There is no unknown future that can separate us from the nearness of God. We don't have to fear about our futures. We don't need to be worried about what might happen in our lives. We don't need to be anxious about these things because we know that God is 
nearer. Near now and near one day. And knowing this, knowing this reality, it produces something in us that only God has. Listen to this. And the peace of God, like God's peace, the peace he has in himself, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You know, Christ City, what a way to start the new year. What a way to start back into our regular routines after the holidays. To let the rock of God's nearness sink into your heart. To let rejoicing and non-anxiety ripple out of you. And to let other people see in you God's peace. 